Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called Morenevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Danielle Karapkin speaking to you uh, from uh, Thornhill, Ontario, from the Bayat Beth Avram Yosef of Toronto. We are on the webyeshiva.org platform. different podcasts. Um, we are learning Sefer Morenavuchim, Humanity's Guide for the Perplexed. And uh, we are Section 2, Chapter 20. And after a, a week's uh, time off, we are commencing with our discussion of the whole concept of creation as being a primary fundamental belief of, of Judaism. Um, a necessary belief in, in the opinion of the Rambam that the world was created from absolute nothing um, and uh, uh, something which creates uh, great um, uh, turbulence for the Rambam's philosophical system, which is uh, completely Aristotelian. The reason why this creates a problem for the Rambam is because, as we've been discussing uh, throughout the first part of section two of Morena Vuchim, Aristotle very much believed in this concept of steady state, uh, eternal universe that is essentially unchanging. The individual components of the universe may come and go, but the universe as it is today has always existed. Um, the, the Aristotle had based this on um, Aristotelian proofs, which the Rambam completely subscribes to the whole system of Aristotle. And so he spends a very significant amount of space in the Moren Vuchim, demonstrating how in this one area, Aristotle had not succeeded in proving truth. Uh, and instead, in reality, the world was created at a given point in time by, by the God of the, of the Torah, by the God of the Jewish people. Um, uh, today, it is a bit of a uh, more philosophical chapter really getting into the uh, writings of Aristotle directly in the book of physics, specifically book two or book B of Aristotle's physics, chapters four through six. Those of you who are familiar at all with uh, any of Aristotle's writings in their original. But um, uh, we're not gonna get into the actual meat of the uh, Aristotelian text, but we are going to go through a very uh, thorough uh, um, outline of this chapter. And I'm sharing, for those of you who are watching this by video, I'm sharing with you a screen uh, of a handout that is easily downloadable either from the Facebook group Shi'ur in Morena Vuchim or from the webyeshiva.org um, website uh, for this course's description uh, for chapter 20 of section two of the Morena Vuchim. I encountered this article yesterday. It's a recently written article that gives us a very good synopsis of um, uh, of Aristotle's beliefs in the how this universe 
came into existence. Um, and there are two terms that we're going to be discussing today, um, existence by non-chance and existence by intent, or as this article puts it, existence by regularity and existence by teleology. Those are two technical terms and I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll, let's just read this article together, just a small snippet, just a small paragraph from this article and we'll understand where Aristotle stands on these matters. Aristotle's concept of nature has two components, and this is from a journal called Spectrum, uh, which was published on September 10th, 2020. Um, uh, Aristotle's concept of nature has two components, regularity or an absence of chance and teleology or the serving of ends. Now, we could also call it intent or you know, it's something that has an intentional objective or purpose. Um, uh, what I'd like to just point out is at the beginning of chapter 20, um, the main point that the Rambam wishes to bring out, just to, just to help us get our bearings of where we are in this, in this discussion, the Rambam had concluded chapter 19 by saying that by all indications, the, when we look at the heavens and we see the way that they are structured, in the sense that there is not a sense of perfection or uniformity, but rather there's particularization, that certain things are positioned in one way versus another way. And there's no rhyme or reason that if we're dealing with something that necessarily emanated from a perfect deity, that they would have emanated in the way that they do with certain uh, bodies orbiting one way in one way method of motion and in one size and in one uh, cluster of density and another group of stars, let's say, or celestial bodies orbiting in the opposite direction or in an, an, an elliptical kind of orbit, which is completely out of sync with another planet or star's orbit, why certain stars cluster in one type of density and another place, and why there's a difference in size between one planet and another. So all of this lack of uniformity, or what the Rambam calls particularization, or yichud in Hebrew, seems to indicate that there was intent or a sentience involved in organizing the universe the way it is organized. And this chapter, chapter 20, really drills down more deeply in how Aristotle views how the universe comes into being in the way that it, that it is. So the first thing that Aristotle emphasizes is that things simply don't happen by chance. Um, and so that's the first component. And the second thing that he says in this book of physics, uh, uh, book two, is that they happen with intent, with a sense of teleology, that term in philosophy that describes how there's an objective of why the way things are the way they are. And so he says in this article by regularity, I mean that Aristotle holds that certain phenomena are permanent, representing eternal basic facts that have always existed in these forms. This means that, for example, if Aristotle observes that a horse has four legs, he holds that it is simply a fact that the horses have always had and will always have four legs. And um, you see this idea being reflected in the Rambam when he quotes Aristotle at the very beginning of chapter 20. And he says, Aristotle demonstrates, I'm just quoting from the Pines edition, Aristotle demonstrates regarding all natural things that they do not come about by chance. His demonstration being, as he has stated it, that 
um, uh, incidental things, what he calls fortuitous things, or things that happen by chance do not occur either always. Things don't happen randomly or by chance at either ever or in most cases. The Rambam does break it down between um, the earthly realm where sometimes you do see mutations of individual components of a species, but it's rare, he says. Things, things normally do not happen randomly, Aristotle is, says. We'll get more to a, a breakdown of our chapter, but let me finish this, this paragraph. Teleology refers to the belief that all phenomena are aimed towards a particular purpose or end as opposed to happening, happening randomly or only being explained by their prior causes. In other words, teleological explanations hold that the occurrence or existence of phenomena is purposive or purposeful. I'm not sure why that word purposive is used instead of purposeful. This can be illustrated by way of a hypothetical example. Let us imagine that I had some seeds in my hand and I let go of them. The seeds fall to the ground. If we ask the question, why did the seeds fall? We can have two types of explanations. A non-teleological explanation would be something like, because you let go of the seeds. This explanation does not state any purpose for the seeds falling, but it rather focuses, focuses on antecedent causes or what happened prior to the seeds falling that caused the seeds to fall. And just to insert my own commentary here, it is a correct answer if I asked why did the seeds fall to say because uh, I opened my hands and I let the seeds and I let gravity take over. In other words, that is a correct answer because the question of why can mean a number of different things. Why could mean what caused this to happen. And it could also mean why uh, was, uh, what was the purpose of them falling. And we learned when we learned Aristotelian uh, terminology, we learned that there are four different kinds of causes. Efficient causes, the first kind, but the ultimate objective is a different kind of cause. By contrast, a teleological explanation would answer it in a way like, because by being on the ground, the seeds can blossom into a tree. This explanation focuses on the purpose of the seeds falling and the final, what we call the final cause or the end of the seeds being on the ground. It ascribes a purpose to the final state, in this case, for the seeds to become a tree. Now, what, the, what Aristotle is going to purportedly states, according to this essay, and what the Rambam acknowledges Aristotle states, is that this universe um, has multiple causes that force it to be the way that it is, and that it must be this way and not another way. The reason being is because uh, this universe emanates from something, from its antecedents, and its antecedents have antecedents that cause those antecedents to come into existence. And ultimately, everything necessarily emanated into the way it exists currently, whether it's the cosmos, whether it's the way that trees grow on our planet, and so forth and so on. The second point is what the Rambam is going to have difficulty with because Aristotle also asserts that there was willful purpose, there was final cause, there was an objective that, of a sentient being in bringing about the world the way it was brought about. And the Rambam will indicate to us that he has a problem in the sense that he feels that the second assertion actually contradicts the first assertion as we'll talk about in just a moment. 
But now that we have this, these two ideas of regularity and teleology, of something uh, that the world did not come into being by chance because everything necessarily emanated the way it needs to emanate by its antecedent causes, plus there is a willful purpose as to why it emanated in the way that it emanated, that's the teleology part, let's now look at the outline of our chapter. The first, and it's really a, a relatively short chapter, I only really have five points uh, uh, that will break down in this chapter. In existence of both the heavenly realm and the sublunary realm, chance or randomness plays either no or very little role in bringing about natural things in existence. When we talk about natural things, we're, think, we're talking about things that are not manufactured, obviously, by, uh, by human beings, things that occur naturally in creation. This is why things exist in an unchanging way, to quote the Rambam, either in their essences or through change of place. When we look at the way that things um, uh, exist in their essence, meaning their size, their, uh, their qualities, uh, or their pattern of motion, that's what he means by change of place, everything is put into motion and put into existence for in an unchanging way. In other words, orbits don't change, horses don't change from four-legged to five-legged creatures and so forth. Examples of constancy in the sublunary realm are heat emanating from fire and gravity causing a stone to fall to the ground, or essentially the laws of physics. The Rambam, uh, quoting Aristotle, says, if you look at the laws of physics, you see a sense of constancy of things that are unchanging. The unchanging nature of our universe seems to indicate that things are not happening by chance or at random, because things that happen at random tend to happen entropically, meaning that there's chaotic uh, coming into being and ceasing to be, and nothing seems to be consistent. Consistency indicates an order that is the abs that is the opposite of things happening randomly or by chance. Now, he says, since particular phenomena do not occur by chance, then surely all of existence does not occur by chance. And here the Aristotle makes sort of like a, a kalvachomer, a, 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 an a fortiori argument that if certain uh, individual components of the laws of physics do not change, such as heat always emanates from fire and gravity always works the way it's supposed to work, then certainly all of existence does not come into existence through chance. And that is indicative of the fact that there must be some ultimate cause that brings the universe into being. This is synonymous to stating that there is cause and purpose to all that exists. Um, and so this leads Aristotle to believe that there was no such thing as spontaneous coming into being of the universe. There must be a first cause, some kind of what we would call a deity, what, what Aristotle would, cause, would call the ultimate cause of everything, because you cannot have, like we've learned before in Aristotelian logic, an infinite sequence of causes. So there must be ultimately a first cause, what we call God, that is, the, is responsible for bringing everything into being. And it necessarily emanates from God in the way that it emanates. Aristotle criticized those who suggested that the heavens, which are the most divine in their indication of a deity, in other words, um, uh, the, the reason why the Rambam quotes Aristotle as saying that the 
heavens are 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 um, are are divine is because when you look at the heavens, you see the hand of some grand designer, um, and that's why he calls the heavens indicative of a deity. He, so Aristotle criticizes those who suggest that they that the heavens arose spontaneously and by chance, while at the same time subscribing to rules of physics that do not happen at random, such as an olive seed producing an olive tree and human sperm producing human offspring. And he says this is a point that arouses, arouses strong astonishment because he says there's a certain inconsistency about that philosophical belief. On the one hand, you acknowledge that the laws of physics are solid state, unchanging, immutable, and at the same time, uh, says, Arist says, um, uh, says Aristotle, you think that things just happen spontaneously and by chance. Those two things are not congruous in the mind of the, of the Aristotelian philosopher. And this is where, now that the Rambam has quoted Aristotle, now the Rambam himself, uh, speaking with his own voice, states as follows, and, uh, and this is from page 313. While it is clear that because there are rules of physics, chance and spontaneity play no role in the coming to being of existence, but what is not clear to me is the correlation made by Aristotle and his students between regularity and teleology. That is to say, just because things of this existence follow a pattern of particularity, they must essentially become what they are. In other words, that's the first part that I agree to, says the Rambam. I agree to this idea of regularity, that nothing happens by chance. And since nothing happens by chance, the way things are is the way that they must be as a necessary emanation from that first cause. But this does not necessarily mean that they came into being, and this is just a quote from the Rambam, in virtue of purpose of one who purposed and the will of one who willed, or in Hebrew, the kavanat mechavein v'ratzon harotzeh. Just because things necessarily emanated from God does not mean that God is a God of volition, that God willfully wanted these things to come into being for a certain objective or for a certain purpose. And the Rambam writes, and this is a direct quote, for to me, a combination between existing in virtue of necessity and being produced in time in virtue of a purpose and a will, a combination uniting these two comes near to a combination of two contraries. When one suggests that God had an objective and therefore brought things into existence, that implies almost a contradiction to things emanating necessarily from God. And it's very important for us to sort of clarify this idea. We've talked about it before, but sort of the Rambam brings it to a head in this chapter to suggest that everything that exists must exist the way it is because it is, an, it is a product of a series of emanations from a first cause suggests that things are happening mechanistically or automatically based on the nature of that first cause, which causes a second cause, a third cause, until finally we arrive at our current state of existence. That implies that there was no sort of decision or thought process involved in bringing these things to the way they are for a specific purpose, but rather they needed to emanate 
in the way that they are. Just like when you light a fire, the fire doesn't have to think about whether it produces heat, but rather the fire automatically produces heat because that's what fire does. Um, in, the, in a similar vein, the Rambam is perplexed as to how Aristotle can reconcile these two ideas. If you acknowledge that things happen automatically and necessarily in the way that they are supposed to be emanating, how can you, in the same section of your book on physics, say that there's a teleology, that there was willful intent to bring these things about the way that they currently are? That implies that they could have been different, but you decided to make it them, or you, the creator, decided to make them this way or to emanate them this way um, for some particular objective, some teleological purpose or cause. And that says the Rambam is not consistent with the first statement that things emanate automatically and necessarily in the way that they do. And he says this is because when something exists necessarily, it must have come into existence even without will and intent. So the Rambam then gets into a little bit deeper discussion of this idea. And he says existence, and this is the bottom of page 313, and he says that existence as a product of the first cause is not like other things that are, are a product of their producer, like shadow from a body that casts a shadow or heat from a fire. Rather, says the Rambam, this necessity is somewhat like, somewhat like the necessity of the derivation of an intellectum from an intellect, a, 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 an idea that is a product of the intellect. An intellectum is something that is intellectualized or, or grasped by the intellect. And we're gonna explain that in just a moment, that the Rambam is of the opinion that the production of our universe from a first cause is even more automatic or even more direct than heat coming from fire. Even though there are certain philosophers who compare the coming into existence of our world automatically from a first cause like heat being produced automatically by fire, the Rambam says existence as it emanates from the intellect of the first cause or from God is even more directly connected necessarily to the first cause than heat is connected to fire. And I'll explain that in just a minute, but we're gonna go back to chapter 68 of the first section to help us understand that a little bit better. The first cause cannot but produce anything contrary to what it produces, which implies a lack of will and intent. That goes back to what we were saying before. And here's again a direct quote from the Pines edition. For the meaning of necessity, as Aristotle believes it, is that everything among naturally occurring beings cannot but have a cause necessitating that particular thing, a cause that has brought it into being as it is, and that this cause has a second cause, and this second cause similarly a third one, until finally a first cause is reached from which everything necessarily derived. And he continues, for the notions of purpose and particularization, and this is on page uh, 314, only apply to a non-existing thing which it is possible to exist just as it was purpose and particular, particularized, and for which it is also possible not to exist in this fashion. Or in other words, when you talk about a teleological objective, it means that whoever the source of that intent is could have chosen not to create it or to create it differently. 
or to bring it into being differently. And that's the reason why Aristotle feels that there's a, a shtikl stira, as we would say in the base medrash. There's a bit of a contradiction between the first statement of Aristotle and the second statement, which he really says in the same breath in uh, chapters four through six of the second book of physics. And that is, when you say that something emanates necessarily from the first cause by necessity or of necessity, then it's very difficult to, at the, to reconcile that with saying that it happened volitionally or teleologically with a purpose in mind. Because whenever you talk about purpose, that it's this, I particularly decided to do it this way for a specific objective, that implies that it could not have, it could have been that it never was brought into being. And it could also be that it was, it was brought into being in a different way. And that is a contradiction to saying that something necessarily emanates from a first cause by the very nature of that cause. And the Rambam then concludes the chapter by saying, and this is point number five, in the next chapter, I will discuss some latter-day philosophers, the philosophers that are from the Muslim tradition that perpetuate Aristotelian ideas, who debate the issue of teleology, purpose and particularization of a willful deity. And we will get into that more in chapter 21. So um, just to really uh, close this uh, chapter and to really bring it full circle, the Rambam had made a statement that when we talk about things necessarily emanating from God, it's more than just like the analogy of it's necessary for fire to for uh, fire to emanate heat, or for for heat to emanate from fire. The analogy is not a perfect analogy, because one is a product of the other. But in reality, intellect, which is the stuff that makes up our universe, divine intellect, really is one and the same with God Himself. And here's where the Rambam uh, uh, treads very closely upon an idea that exists in Kabbalah, which is that uh, there nothing else ain't od milvado, that nothing else exists outside of God, because anything that is emanated from God is part of God ultimately. Um, this is really something that the Rambam undertakes in chapter 68, which we've already studied together, but I've, I've uh, quoted for you just a snippet from chapter 68 using the Feldman translation, which is available online, so that we can just review it together. And he writes, there is no doubt that he who has not studied any works on mental philosophy or the philosophy of the intellect, who has not comprehended the nature of the mind, who has no knowledge of its essence and considers it in no other way than he would consider the nature of whiteness and of blackness, will find this subject that we're discussing now about how intellect emanates uh, ideas that are part of the intellect, will find this subject extremely difficult. And to him, our principles that the intellectus, the intelligens, and the intelligible are in God one and the same thing. In other words, that which can be thought of, the thought itself, um, and the mind are within Hashem all the same thing. This is part of the whole idea that the, uh, about uh, affirming the unity of God, that that which God, the God's mind, that which God cognizes, and that which God produces through his cognition are all one and the same. This will appear as unintelligible as if we said that whiteness, the whitening substance, and the material which is whitened are one and the same thing. 
And indeed, many ignorant people refute at once our principle by using such comparisons. Or let's say to use the uh, um, analogy of our chapter to say that heat and fire are one and the same is, uh, is, is, is incorrect. But to say that that which emanates from God is one and the same with God is a correct statement. Even among those who imagine that they are wise, many find this subject difficult and are of opinion that it is impossible for the mind to grasp the truth of this proposition, although it is demonstrated as truth, as has been shown by the metaphysicians, I will or those philosophers dealing with metaphysics. I will tell you now what has been proved. Man, before comprehending a thing, comprehends it in potentia. When, however, he comprehends a thing, for example, the form of a certain tree which is pointed out to him, when he abstracts its form from its substance and reproduces the abstract form, an act performed by the intellect, he comprehends in reality or in actu, and the intellect which he has acquired in actuality is the abstract form of the tree in man's mind. So going back to this whole idea of matter and form, which we covered in chapter 68, and we talked about this, the idea of the active intellect, for those of you who want to listen to the podcast or the recording of chapter 68 from the first section, will recall that in Aristotelian science, when I look at a tree, I pull out of the tree its form, the form of the tree now is part of my mind, and when I reproduce, let's say, um, uh, a statue of the tree, I'm taking the form of the original tree, taking it from my mind and imbuing it in the statue that I have created of the tree. For in such a case as the intellect is not a thing distinct from the thing comprehended. The idea, in, the, the idea itself is one and the same as the intellect. It is therefore clear to you that the thing comprehended is the abstract form of the tree and at the same time, it is the intellect in action, in actu, and that the intellect and the abstract form of the tree are not two different things, for the intellect in action is nothing but the thing comprehended, and that agent by which the form of the tree has been turned into an intellectual and abstract object, namely that which comprehends, is undoubtedly the intellect in action. Okay, you can read, I recommend that you review the entire chapter to get a, a, a more robust idea of what the Rambam is referring to over there, but as it pertains to our chapter, the whole idea is that the Aristotelian God is pure intellect. The intellect of that first cause emanates uh, form for all of existence. And all that exists is part of the intellect of God. And so therefore, it's even more necessary of an emanation uh, 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 that reality is an emanation of the first causer of God than saying that heat is an emanation of fire because heat is clearly something disparate and separate from the fire itself. But the intellect that God emanates to bring about all of existence, the form of all that exists, is part and parcel of God himself. And therefore, this only strengthens the argument that the Rambam was making is that once you say that things are a necessary emanation from God, how can you then say that God is a deity of volition, that God decides to make things a specific way for a specific teleological purpose? Because that implies that they, God could have easily chosen not to create the world. And that is the conundrum that the Rambam leaves us with. He doesn't have a solution. He basically says it's a stira in Aristotle. 
for which I cannot present a solution. And I will, however, present in chapter 21, a further expansion on this idea when I do a review of some later philosophers who disputed exactly whether or not there is a teleology that runs and produces all that exists. Okay, I, um, uh, this is, again, another stop that the Rambam has to make in order to come to the final conclusion of what he seeks to prove, which is that the world was created at a given point in time, a creatio ex nihilo, just the way the Torah describes it. It is a technical discussion, and we will continue the discussion, Bezrat Hashem, in chapter 21 next time, and eventually we will get closer and closer to the sources in the Torah, in Tanakh, and in Chazal, to help us understand the whole idea of creation. But this was a necessary stop for the Rambam. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you later.